Amen. June 30th, if you didn't hear it, June 30th, right after service, we are having Smoking Bob's Barbecue. You're going to come out and cater for us. If you've never had an opportunity for Smoking Bob's Barbecue, this is your commercial today to go and check them out. They're uh, burnt ends. Praise the Lord good. I mean, like, that's when you're thinking of all of God's creation, right? When we sing songs, we should include burnt ends from Smoking Bob's up there as the good things that our God has given to us. And so make sure to set in your calendar June 30th. I don't care if your children are getting married. You tell them, I can't be there, Smoking Bob's. And we're celebrating at Praise Assembly what God has done. And so that's going to be good. June 30, mark it in your calendar. Do not miss it. And, and if you didn't catch that um, the video there, just a little clip of it, just hinting at it, we did record that entire process. And you don't get to see it until June 30th. And so you're going to want to be here for that, if nothing else, because it was a celebration. If you've never seen Pastor Burris jump, <laughs> be here on June 30th. You'll see Pastor Burris jump, okay? Uh, so don't miss that. You're going to want to be here for that, all right? Um, if you would, grab your phones, open them up to praise.fyi. Grab your Bibles this morning. Uh, we're big believers in having the scriptures in front of you. And as you're opening up praise.fyi, that has the list of scriptures that we're going to be working through. There's really just a few today. Um, but you can take notes and follow along. At the bottom is the community group questions, and you should be able to um, get a hold of that and be able to make sure that you're right in the midst of it with us. If you have a Bible, grab it, open it up to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. I know that was a surprise. You're like, oh, I wonder where we're going to be today. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5 is where we're going to be. So grab your Bibles. If you have one of the church Bibles, if you didn't bring one with you, there's those Bibles that are in the seats. Grab one of those today. And uh, once you have it, Open it up to, I guess in that one, it'll be on page 991, 991, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, the same verse we've been now for four weeks as we've been on this Easter series, this Easter series, which is just sandwiched Easter and has, at least for me, has been incredibly moving and meaningful, okay, so uh, grab your Bibles, open them up to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5 today, because we are finishing this series up today. Um, and there are times as a pastor when you feel completely inadequate to the task. There are times when, as a pastor, you're walking into the room and you have no idea what you're going to say. And what I love about how God calls me to minister is that that's okay. Because as you walk into the room by the power of the Spirit being yoked to Jesus Christ, He's got it. And our trust is in Him and our hope and our faith and everything, reliance upon Him. And in that then, it's okay. And I just function in the rhythms of His grace. Well, today I feel inadequate to the task. Mostly and not because I don't feel it, but just the opposite. I feel it so deeply. And I know that the words that I might say will be completely and totally inadequate to communicating what I wish I could communicate to you this morning. I wish I could just set it up intravenously from my heart right to yours. 
And my words will fail me over and over and over again. But I'm going to trust today that the Holy Spirit will do what I cannot. And that your hearts will grasp what my heart has begun to lay hold of. And that you will come along with me in that process as we finish up this series in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5 today. Here's what it says. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So if you haven't been a part of it so far, this is week four of this verse. And we've talked about three weeks ago, the week before Easter, Palm Sunday, a pure heart. And we talked about how Jesus himself said that a pure heart is necessary even to see God. But then also in seeing God, we are given a pure heart, which is a beautiful thing, isn't it? He calls us, requires it of us, and then gives it to us. And then we talked on Easter about a good conscience and how the power of the resurrection is what calls awake inside of me a good conscience. It's the death of Jesus on the cross that gives me a clean conscience. It's the resurrection of Jesus which gives me a good conscience. When you talk about the creative work of God available to us as a result of Easter, the power of creation was, and what he does inside of me, the power of the resurrection is what does that. When he calls something alive inside of me, that's a result of the power. And when you read in Scripture about the power of the resurrection, know that that's creative working power inside of us. It's the death of Jesus on the cross which cleanses me from sin and gives me a clean conscience, but it's a resurrection of Jesus which calls awake inside of me a good conscience. So we make an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus who has gone into the heaven is at the right hand of God and is and has all angels and authorities and powers subjected to him. That's how we get a good conscience and appeal to God through the resurrection. And then last week we talked about a sincere faith. And what a God we serve, who through the crucifixion of Jesus calls an insincere and cynical people. He made the first move of sincerity in Jesus Christ, and he calls us to sincerity. But not only that, the resurrection of Jesus and this king who was risen, who also washes feet, who enters on a donkey and not on a charger, that's the only escape route for cynicism. So he calls us to a sincere faith. Well, today we're going to get to the point. You're like, finally, four weeks, we're finally at the point. Because today we're going to talk about the aim of our charge is love that issues from. The aim of our charge is love that issues from. When Paul wrote this to Timothy, he had known Timothy for about 15 years at this point. And when I say he knew Timothy, early on in that process, I mean, he may even be responsible for his salvation, we don't entirely know, but they came from entirely different backgrounds, or at least mostly different backgrounds, at least we'll say, but his heart was knit to Timothy's. Early on, after knowing Timothy, five years in, he began to say things of Timothy like, he is my beloved and faithful son, like he does in 1 Corinthians, my beloved and faithful child in the faith. And here, even in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, he says to Timothy, my true child in the faith. Paul talks a lot about Timothy. 
You can read just about every letter he wrote. Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, Philemon, of course, 1st and 2nd Timothy. He mentions Timothy in each and every one of those letters. He regularly brings them up. Timothy followed him on his missionary journeys, at least two of the three missionary journeys. Timothy came along with Paul on. When Paul goes back to Jerusalem, is arrested, and eventually goes to Rome, guess who, it, who was with him? It was Timothy. Timothy was with Paul, and Paul was with Timothy. For 15 years, he poured his life out and made an investment into Timothy. Except, that's not quite right. Because when, Timothy, or when Paul talked about his relationship with Timothy, he did not talk about it as if it was a relationship where he was investing into Timothy. Instead, the kind of language you find Paul making is stuff like this. Essentially, that God gave me a trust. It's like he set up a trust, and I'm the trustee. And the proper administration and stewardship of this trust then included me spending my life for the last 15 years with Timothy. And it's not that he's making the investment into Timothy. The proper stewardship and administration of this trust that he was the administrator of, the trustee of, was investing in a deeper and greater work so that Timothy would also eventually become a trustee of the trust. So you find language like you find in this verse where he says, the aim of our charge. That word charge is a word that means essentially that. It's, the, it's an investment, but it's not an investment. It's something that they share together. He says, the aim of our charge. And he uses this word again down in verse 18. And here in verse 18, if you look, it's not going to be up on the screen. It says, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy. So Paul thinks of it like, I have a trust that I was an administrator of. The proper administration of that meant that I spent 15 years with you, Timothy. And we prayed together. And you heard every sermon. You heard every teaching. You heard all of the times that late at night I was praying for you. And we had talks and we discussed what it meant that Jesus Christ was crucified. And what it meant that Jesus was risen from the grave. What are the implications of that for me? What are the implications of that for you? And he says, this is the charge. In fact, Paul only uses this word three times in all of his letters. Two of them are here in 1 Timothy, and one in verse 5 and in verse 18. And then he says to Timothy, this is really beautiful, in the same way that I'm an administrator of this trust, the truth, the gospel, all the teachings, everything, is the same way that I'm an administrator of that. When I handed it to you, you became an administrator of it. And so he says to him in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, he says there, he goes, uh, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men. Right? So he's saying, okay, I was the trustee, and I handed that off to you now. Now you're the trustee of this charge. And that word charge he uses twice here in 1 Timothy, and then he uses it in one other place. And I want to read that other place to you because... I think it speaks really deeply to what's happening here in 1 Timothy. 
Okay, that's over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 2. This is the only other time that Paul uses that word charge. Okay? The only other time is in 1 Thessalonians 4, 2, and here's what it says. For you know what instructions. Same word. Translated here as instructions. Now let me be clear what this is not for the Thessalonians. Paul did not write down a bunch of directions for the Thessalonians. Say, here's your instructions. When it says instructions here, it goes beyond just him writing something down and saying, now do this. Instead, the word that's instructions here, what Paul refers to it as earlier in the book of 1 Thessalonians, he says, we give thanks to God always for you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Like, this is a deep relationship that he has with the church in Thessalonica. In fact, he even, I love this, Paul refers to his relationship to them like a mom who is nursing her child. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. He refers to himself as a nursing mom, and then he can't stop. He continues on, and later on he says, and I'm also like your dad. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So when you read the word charge in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, it's not just like he gave him some teachings. This is a life that was lived beside Timothy. This is care. This is prayer. This is them having late night talks as they're talking about Jesus Christ and what that means to them. And Paul says to Timothy, he goes, the aim of our charge, he says, it's our charge now. That's a pretty big deal. Because it's not Paul's charge any longer. And that word our has a 15-year cost to it. Because Paul's saying to Timothy, it's not mine anymore. It's ours. And what I entrusted to you, now you're an administrator of that trust. You are a trustee. And now you must entrust it to other people. This is our charge. Well, back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, though. I want to keep reading that because it says what that trust is. Here's what it says about that charge. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 2. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus... For this is the will of God, your sanctification. For a while now, I've been saying that I believe 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5 is the best definition of practical holiness in the whole Bible. Now you don't have to take my word for it. Now you can take the word for it. Because that is saying right there, same word, that charge What is it? 
What is God's will for you and for me? It is our sanctification, the process of becoming more like Jesus Christ, the process of becoming more like God, right? Holiness, he says later on. And if you keep reading, he talks all about that holiness. And he says, that's what this charge is, right? That's what it's working towards, right? That's the will of God for you. So in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, when he says, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. That's what it's talking about, holiness. This is the best definition of holiness, practically, that you will find. We'll talk more about that in just a bit. But he says the aim of our charge. The aim of our charge is love. He doesn't say the charge is love. I want you to pay attention because I think we really got to focus at the exact words that are used here because the words that are used here are exact. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. He doesn't say our charge is love. So when he says the word charge, he's talking about every teaching. He's talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified Knowing Christ Jesus and the power of his resurrection, that's all the charge. But the aim of the charge, the end of the charge, is love. One of the best things about being a dad instead of a mom is that as the father, you get to be, or I get to be, the steward of danger in your kids' lives. Truly, mom's job is to nurture, love, keep safe. The dad's job is to scare the living daylights out of them. I'm pretty sure that that's in the job description somewhere. I get to be the steward of danger in their lives. And I think that would be a great name for a superhero. The steward of danger. Alan Bochamp. Okay, sorry. Step up. So for what this looks like for me. When Claire and Asher were very young, and, and just removing all liability, I don't recommend this for anybody, okay? But when they were very young, I don't know if you know this about kids, and for those who are getting ready to have kids, and if you haven't tried it yet, you should or should not, um, there's a period in there where they lock their knees, and you hold them by their hands, they lock their knees, and, and yet they can't stand up on their own because they don't have the balance yet. So as a parent you have the ability to help them with their balance and they lock their knees. And the way you do that is you put them on your hand and you hold them out. And they'll stand there on the edge of your hand. This is legitimate. I did this. Liz loved it. And you do the balancing for them, right? So you're going like this and they're just standing there and they're loving it. Or at least that's what you think because they're facing the other direction. You have no idea what's going on. But it freaks people out. But that's your job because you're the dad. And you throw them in the air. And I don't know that I've had anybody else who threw them any higher than me except for Kevin King. I've seen pictures of him. And he threw them so much higher than I did. So if you think I was a steward of danger, he was a steward of danger. But he, so that's our job as a dad. And as they get older, that means that I get to be the one who removes the safety 
the, the um, training wheels on the bike, and I get to be the one who runs alongside of them as they're trying to balance it for the very first time because I'm the dad. I steward the danger. And now they're a little older, and Claire is nine and Asher's six, so what that looks like is this. Now I get to teach them how to ride a four-wheeler. <laughs> Legitimately. And so both Claire and Asher, they know it's a tool and that it's something we have to be safe with. And it's not something that you just go peeling out on, but instead they learn that process. And who does that? Me. That's my job. I need to teach them that this is not something that we don't take lightly, but instead. So both of them at this point have had rides on our big four-wheeler all alone, and they've just gone in a little circle, and we've worked on it, and Claire is getting a little bit bigger circle and getting a little bit out of my range of sight. But that's a good thing, and that's part of my job as the dad. Well, the next inevitable step was about two months ago, for us at least. It was the point at which I introduced them, or at least I introduced to Claire because Asher wasn't ready for it. He just, he didn't have an interest in it yet. Guns. Because it is important for my kids to know that a gun is not evil, but instead it's a tool. And if properly respected, and if properly taken care of, and if properly paid attention to, then it is something that is a good tool. And so you start, or I started, by teaching them about muzzle control. And anytime somebody hands you a gun, you always begin by checking the chamber before you do anything else. You know whether or not there's, I mean, you check it. Even if they say it's unloaded, even if they checked it, you check it as soon as they hand it over to you. This is basic safety things about using, and you don't put your finger on the trigger until you're ready to pull the trigger. And so what that looked like for me was about two months ago, Claire was ready, and so we went out on the back 40 and went plinking with a Ruger 1022. And she had talked about, and we'd worked through all the muzzle control stuff and worked through all the safety stuff, and we had done all of that, and then the time came for her to shoot some little aluminum cans. And yet, she couldn't yet close her eye to aim. Like, her, she can't close one eye. She doesn't have the muscle control over that yet, so, which is okay because she doesn't need to be winking at boys until she's 45. So it's all right that she doesn't have that down yet, but that just meant I need to help her, right? Like all things need to be done good and in order. Let me just be clear about this. In order looks like this. Guns first, then driving, then college, then marriage, then dating, okay? <laughs> Gun always comes first. So that's where we're at. We're on guns, okay? And so she, she can't close her eye yet, and so I'm helping her hold her eye so she can look through the scope and see and line up the crosshairs and aim them at the can. And it was incredibly frustrating, but also something where she was learning how to do it. And it was a new experience for her. And I, as her dad, got to steward that, administrate it, because I am the steward of danger in her life. And those kind of things are good experiences for her to have with me instead of on her own. Right? So I want to have that and be that and for her. And she did nail it, by the way. She took three shots, nailed every single one of them, 100% hit ratio. Boom. Okay? Okay. But I had to tell her over and over and over again because it was incredibly frustrating. Like, what are you trying to do when you're aiming? What you're trying to do, and I just used this exact language with her, your whole goal is you are telling where that bullet where to end. Right? That's what aiming is. You're saying you want the end of it to be here. Doesn't mean it starts there. That's the end. The intended end. 
That's what aim means. And Paul does not say that our charge is love. He says the intended end of our charge is love. The charge is the teachings and the prayer and the seeking Jesus Christ side by side. But the aim of that, the intended end of that is love. And let's be clear also, just pay attention to it because you got to see the order of the words because it is important. He doesn't say our aim with this charge. The aim of our charge. What's doing the aiming? The charges, the teaching, Jesus Christ crucified, risen from the grave, everything that goes along with it, all of the implications. What is doing the sanctifying in them? It's not Paul. It's not Timothy. All they're doing is properly stewarding what God has given to them, and that is what is bringing about love inside of them. It's the charge that is aiming, and he says to them, The aim of our charge is love, is love. And I think sometimes we think that holiness and love are opposed. Like you can find some churches that focus hardcore on holiness at the expense of love. And you can find some churches that focus on love at the expense of holiness. And can I say to you, love and holiness are intertwined. You cannot pull them apart. So what you think is holiness, that's not holiness. And what you think is love, I'm sorry, that's not love. Because unless these two things meet and are intertwined, you got them both wrong. Because Paul's definition of holiness is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And isn't that what, what Jesus himself said anyways? Like, isn't that what Jesus said with the first and greatest commandment? The first and greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself, right? Like, and he says, if you get those two, you got the whole law fulfilled. What is holiness but fulfilling the law? And 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 5, if you have this verse, you got it all. Love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience, and a sincere faith. This is a beautiful thing. And it doesn't even tell you who the love is for. Where's the object on that? It doesn't say the aim of our charge is love for God, or love for your neighbor, or love for the other believer who's around you right now. It doesn't tell you any of that. And I think that's intentional. I think that's on purpose. Because it's love for all of them. <laughs> it's love for God is holiness. And it's love for your spouse is holiness. And it's love for your neighbor. And it's love for your boss. And it's love for your coworker. And it's love for your kids. That is what holiness looks like. And while it isn't like characterized by an object, and I think inherently it's saying love all, even though it's doing that, it is deeply qualified. Look at it. 
It's not just love. It's not something that we're putting on. What does he say? It is love that issues from. Real love is not something plastered on our face. True love is not something that we just make believe or, or, or work up. It is something that happens on the inside of us and issues out from it. This is love. And this is holiness. If you want to know what holiness looks like, look at that. If you want to know what love, real, true, absolute love looks like, look at that. Because that's it. And I would also say here, i got to challenge something that I've challenged before. And I, I challenge it. I challenge it with a bit of trembling. I've challenged it before and you've, I think I need to come back around to it. Because I've challenged the idea that love is a decision. And the reason why I do that with trembling is because every single one of us has heard somebody say, you know, I've just fallen out of love with that person. Or, you know, I, I don't love him anymore like I used to. You know, the love is burned out. And so we're afraid to say that love is anything but a decision. And love is a decision. But I think too many times we're making the decision in the wrong place. I think we're trying to make the decision at the level of action. And if you are, you've already lost the battle. Okay? Love should not be something that is being made a decision of at the level of action. It should be happening at the level of protection. Here's what I mean by that. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23. Here's what it says. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. The decision to, to love somebody happens at the level of pastoring and protecting our own hearts. Someone says to you, oh, I've just fallen out of love. No, you didn't guard your heart. You allowed affections that should not have been there to spring up. And you allowed affections that should have been there to die out. And that's on you. Nobody else but you. Guard your heart. That's where the decision is made. And if you don't get it in the ESV, oh, the King James Version is better even. I mean, KJV peeps in here say, what, what? <laughs> KJ, that's how KJV peeps always say, what, what? What, what? KJV peeps, what, what? All right. Here's what the KJV says. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the what? Issues of life. Where have you heard that word? Love that issues from. I even like the Young's literal translation even better. All my YLT peeps say, what, what? I would have been very impressed. Okay, Young's literal translation says, above every charge, keep your heart, keep thy heart, for out of it are the outgoings of life. These things are things that are about pastoring our own hearts and pastoring what's happening inside of them. I'm responsible for those things that come out of my heart, is what Jesus says. 
And so I need to be really very careful, and I need to keep that, and above every other charge, and above all else, I need to guard that, and keep it, and protect it, and that is where the decision of love is made, not at actions. If you're fighting the battle at actions, you've already lost the war. It needs to be fought at the level of your heart. Because Paul says to Timothy, this is the aim of our charge, love that issues from Not love we paste on. Not love that we smile even though we don't mean it, but a love that is real and comes from the inside. It's a love that is willing and more than willing is happy. It is happy when it is interrupted while bringing out the trash. It's a love that is willing and more than willing is happy to take time to talk with somebody in the hallway at work because you genuinely care what's going on in their lives. That is real love and that is real holiness. Anything less is not enough. And if we think we know, but we do not love, then we do not yet know as we thought we did. Real love comes from here. And if you want to make the decision to love, make the decision to guard your heart and to pastor your heart and to lead your emotions here. 1 Timothy 1.5 says, the aim, the end result of our charge of all of the teachings of 15 years of investment and administrating what God has given to me and handing it off to you and late night prayers and time together. The end result of all of that, the hope is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Let me tell you what I'm trying to do today. And let me tell you what I'm not trying to do today. What I am trying to do with everything inside of me is to make you love 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5 like I love it. With everything inside of me, I want you to want it. I want you to desire it. I want you to desire the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. That's what I'm trying to accomplish. That's what we're pushing into. Let me tell you now what I'm not trying to accomplish. I am not trying to get you three steps to get there. Because if you read 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, and you see three steps to a sincere love or a real love or a true love, you miss the point. I think too many times we're looking for three easy steps to make this happen. And I'm sorry, I can't give you three easy steps to get to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. I can't. I want to. I wish I could. But I can't tell you all it is is just reminding yourself of your identity in Jesus Christ. It's just finding an accountability partner. It's just um, knowing not only who I am in Christ, but how much God loves me. It's not any of those things, but it's all of those things, right? Like, I can't give you three easy steps. And even if I could, I wouldn't want to. Because I think sometimes we three easy steps our way all the way to hell. 
And we're so interested in getting the steps to get there instead of just knowing Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the only way to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5 is knowing Christ as your Savior. And more than knowing him as your Savior, it's knowing Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection every single day. That's it. So I'm not trying to give you three easy steps to get there. Here's what I'm trying to do. I am trying to get you to long for the endless immensity of the sea. There's a good quote that sits right outside my office, right underneath the painting of Praise Assembly. And it says, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood or assign out tasks and work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. I can't give you three easy steps to 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 5 because it doesn't come in that. It comes through knowing Christ Jesus and the power of his resurrection. And friends, I can't even give you three steps to get that done. What I want what the best end of this sermon would be is that you would want it. And quite honestly, even if I could, I wouldn't give it to you. Because, and you'd say, oh, Alan, you're not giving me any practical things to deal with or to do and to take a step in. Absolutely. Because if you want it bad enough, oh, You'll dig in the scriptures and you'll find what it says. What does it mean daily to know Christ Jesus and the power of his resurrection at work and at home and in the car and every single day knowing him more and more. And you'll search the scriptures until you figure it out and you'll pray and you'll plead with God and you'll say, God, please show me you. And that's what it will take. And that's why we got to want it. So want it the way I want it. The aim of our charge is love that's not put on or faked, but is genuine. A love that is unadulterated for my spouse. A love from a good conscience for my neighbor. And a love that springs from a sincere faith to God. Oh, I want that. And if you wanted to... You can find it in knowing Christ Jesus and the power of his resurrection and nowhere else. But this is a thing of beauty. This is a thing that if we grasp this and we hold this, it is holiness, friends. It is like God, friends. Love that issues from pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith and you will find it nowhere else. Everything else is put on. Genuinely caring comes from the work of the resurrection inside of me. I want that. I want that. And that's all I hope you do too. I hope you want it. Because if you want it, you'll figure it out. You'll dig and you'll pray. And you'll seek and you'll search 
and in that as you cry out to God, help me to know Christ Jesus and the power of his resurrection. What in the world does that look like in my life, in reality, when I put my feet to the ground? You'll figure it out for yourself and you'll search the scriptures until you got it. And that's what it'll take. But look at the payoff. Love, real love, that issues from, comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Oh, want it. Want it in the name of Jesus. Want it by the power of the Spirit. Want it as God wants it for you. The will of God for you is your sanctification. It's what he wants for you. This, do you want it too? It takes knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection. I think we need to respond to him. I think we need to respond to him. We're going to sing that song, Build My Life, in just a moment. And I think only some of us need to sing during it. I think some of us don't need to sing. I think some of us need to cry out to God. Some of us need to fall on our knees in prayer. Some of us need to plead with him and say, I want to know you in the power of your resurrection today and every day. And some of us need to worship. Some of us need to get our eyes off of the issues and focus on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. And every single one of us may be in a different place, but every single one of us is on a journey to that if we're focused on Jesus. So wherever you are, as we sing, I encourage you to participate. Whatever that looks like in your life, I'm going to invite you to stand with me. And oh God, work in us. Birth it in us in the name of Jesus. Give it to us, oh God, in the name of Jesus. A real love, not a put on love, not a pasted smile, but a real love. The kind of love that issues from somewhere, from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And this morning, you might need to cry out. Well, then cry out. It's worth it. And you might need to just come and fall flat before your God. Come and fall flat before your God. It is worth it. Because you can know him in the power of his resurrection today. And as you do, he'll do that in you. Oh, it's worth it. Do whatever it takes. Follow him. Respond to him. Move towards him in the name of Jesus this morning. Because he is worthy. He is worthy of every song we could ever sing. And worthy of every prayer we could pray. In the name of Jesus.